Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on episode 2. I'm Blair Walker on the Pro Video Podcast. We'll be gaining insights and knowledge from incredible content creators around the world. Expect to hear tips and stories across all areas of creating video content, plus the tools and technologies that help us. On this episode, I'm talking with Rollo Wenlock, CEO of Whipster. We discuss what makes a great review service and where the benefits of using Whipster will impact your projects the most. We also discuss the pricing model changes at Whipster which had previously caused some confusion. Rolo clears this up and explains how they came to the new pricing model and why. Let's go to that conversation with Rollo Wenlock. This week we're with Rollo Wenlock from Whipster. He's an entrepreneur, a CEO, family man and a good Kiwi bloke. Thank you for coming on the show today, Rollo. No problems, Blair. It's a, it's a ple- pleasure to be here. Rollo, if I could just ask you to take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself and, and what Whipster is. Absolutely. So my, my name is Rollo Wenlock, and as you say, I'm a uh, good Kiwi bloke from New, from New Zealand, grew up in the South Island. And uh, what we have with Whipster is uh, a review and collaboration tool for creative teams. And we've started with video, and we're expanding out to the creative review and collaboration of, of everything. So any creative person working on videos or podcasts, architecture, imagery, design, anything. And um, we're really opening up the platform to uh, create a new category that we like to just call review. Uh, it's something that everyone has to do, but, but hasn't really been solidified inside a product yet. Uh, so we're trying to take away all of the friction and the, the heavy lifting of how you share and review work together and making it completely the opposite of what it used to be and just making it fun and light and joyful. Uh, and, and, you know, we have customers like Intel and Tesla and Delta Airways all producing content at a high speed and now using Whipster to create it even faster. So that's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what we're doing. They're really quite big brands. Is it only for the big brands? Can it be for everybody that is creating video content? Oh, it's for, it's for anybody who's creating video content with a budget. And the reason why I, I say with, with a budget is that it's, I think that the, the idea of having products for businesses uh, to, do, to do systems better is that, is that it has to be part of a business cost around something that will cost you and bring an outcome. So if you're a freelancer producing content for a bigger brand or, or someone around town, we have a plan for you because you have a budget and you want to make uh, your workflow more efficient. So we're there to help you produce content faster and have a better relationship with your clients. So we have accounts for freelancers, for production companies, agencies, uh, internal creative teams at big, big brands, and of course, enterprise level customers as well. With the video review tool, it's easy to see the time saving that can be brought out of it. So having that as part of your budget, um, dealing with clients is a necessity in today's market where the turnaround's just so much faster than it used to be. How much time saving will this provide over doing the normal Dropbox email feedback review process? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost two different parts. One is how much time is going to be saved. And, and we see people saying it's now the review process is now three times faster. Some people saying it's 10 times faster. And at the worst possible scenario is when they have so many people that used to be involved in a horrible process, they say it's 20 times faster. But the really interesting thing on top of that, which is not so much mathematical, it's how much more engaged is the reviewer in this new way? So the, 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 the key of Whipster is that we let the client of, of our product upload a piece of content. Today it's a video. And when they share that out, everyone can click on top of the video and make comments directly at something. So you can point at a graphic and say, can you please change the font? You can point at a color grade part and say, hey, this shadow here is a bit dark. Uh, and those comments instantly get sent to either the creator within an Adobe product or straight to their phone or straight to the computer that they're working on for them to either respond to or then uh, change and then iterate on. But at the same time, everyone else who's in the review gets to see those comments in real time as well. So if you invite 25 people to a review, which a lot of people do, everyone can be involved in that conversation at the same time, instantly reply to each other on top of the video, have threaded conversations agree with each other, disagree with each other, and get to a point 
so much faster than before where everyone is in concord of what should be done next. So version two is so much closer to what everyone thinks it should be. Uh, and and not, not just because they're saying you should change it and, and because I said so, you should, but it's because you've had that de- democratic conversation on top of the piece of content with everyone seeing it that you end up with a piece of content that often gets much closer to uh, what's, what the outline was supposed to be at the very start because commercial content always has a brief and then it has an outcome to hit. So we're seeing not only time savings, but we're also seeing better quality review as well. Yeah, and that's something that I think a lot of um, review processes have stumbled upon where people try to keep the internal conversations separate from client conversations. I think getting everybody to open up and be transparent and get to the answers quickly is mm-hmm. really important, which whips the offers in a really nice way. But you also have the ability to hide those comments if you want to just direct them to the team as well, don't you? You do, yeah. So there's two levels of commenting. You can either have a, uh, a comment at the same time on a video which is only for the team and it's hidden from everyone else, all the stakeholders. Uh, and then you can have um, what we call general comments, which means everyone on the review can see those, the, the, those comments. And what we find people doing is that the editor might talk to the color corrector uh, or talk to the sound designer in a private way away from the clients and talk about technical things that they'll, that they'll do that is not related to the, the, like the client review period. So it's not, not so much that they're having separate conversations to keep away from other people because it's information that they shouldn't know, but it's more about it's information that they don't need to know. And so we're ma- making it easier for people to do concurrent work at the same time on top of one video. And what used to happen before we had this feature was somebody would upload version two have conversations on that one with their team and upload version three, which is the same as version two, and have a separate conversation with their client. And so we just simply thought, well, thousands of people are doing this now. Why why don't we just create a feature where two and three become one? And then they have that one video with two conversations at once. And uh, it just makes it so much more efficient. Talking about versioning, have you got any figures or feedback from your customers about using Whipster reducing versions? Well, it's interesting because when, when we started this product a couple of years ago, we thought that reducing versions was going to be the success of the product. Um, that, you know, if you, if you used to do seven versions and it was a pain, um, you'd be overjoyed to only do three. What we've discovered is that people are having a better time doing more versions and they're ending up with a better product and a closer relationship with their clients. And the key difference here is that people now, when they use Webster, they view versions differently. They used to view it as a really big headache. It was difficult. They had to try and get everyone involved with another version. But now because we have one-click uploading straight from, say, Adobe Premiere, Adobe After Effects, you can be working on a version, click go, have a cup of tea, come back. All the changes are in your timeline. You do those changes, click go. That goes straight out. Everyone sees it again. And I'm talking like within minutes, you know, within an hour and a half in the morning, you've done two, maybe three versions have gone to the client, look, look, looked at those little changes, and they've agreed with it, and then they've approved it, and it's done. And what's happened is that through that iterative process of two or three, sometimes 20 versions, it's not a pain anymore, because it's just click a button, everyone opens it on their phone or on their, on their computer, looks, agrees, disagrees, changed, da, da, da. And this is, this is sometimes working with the creative director internally, working with um, the client direct, working with a whole lot of stakeholders across, across the company. And they're, 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 they're telling us now that more versions often ends up with a better experience for everyone, including the creator, because they're, they're, it's so easy for them to share now that they, they want to know that specific feedback towards the very end of the project so that it's done and it's out, out the door. Um, classically, I think what used to go wrong with versions, which is why people wanted less of them, was because it was so difficult to collate feedback every version would turn it into um, an absolute mess. It was like opening Pandora's box. It would just be, every time a version went out, you were just opening up for all sorts of weird comments. People hadn't seen the changes they were expecting because they hadn't been able to get the communication across and the, rela- the relationships throughout the creative process would go, would go sour. But now, the more versions, the stronger the relationships, which is a, a huge shift that I didn't imagine to happen. So the ultimate goal that's coming out of this is each version is a positive step in moving the project forward to a better result. Yes, it's a positive step. And you're, you're, you're engaging the stakeholders much more 
And so they're emotionally more engaged with the product. They're engaged with the creators a, a lot more and they, and they trust a lot more, which is a big issue with review. When people don't trust, they, they often do, do really bad, bad reviews. And I don't mean that they say all the negative stuff. I mean that they just don't do a good job of reviewing so that you get to the next iteration properly. Uh, and so, and so, yeah, this this shift is um, is kind of a monumental shift in how people create. I also feel that by having the people in the review process all together, you're removing some of the middlemen, basically those who are taking feedback from a client and then feeding it back to those who are producing the work. Have you felt like it sort of personalised the various roles for those who are producing and putting the reviews up? as well as the clients to know that there's a real person on the end of that comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think what it does is that, is that there's, there's nowhere to hide. So in the past, when you share a Dropbox link and you email it to some people and they just email you back, it's, it's a very hidden and, and, and very secretive way of doing review where people could say all sorts of whatever they like without thinking about the consequence because there was really only one other person who would have a look at it that then would have to disseminate this information to other, other people. So by, by making it democratic and m- making it very open, it makes people think a little bit more about the outcome of what they say. And it makes them think a little bit more, as you say, about the person at the other end who has to spend hours to change it or has obviously put in a lot of creative effort, put their heart on their sleeves and is in asking for honest feedback of, does this fit the, fit the outcome that we're trying to go for versus do you like it? Because I mean, a review of whether people like it or not is kind of irrelevant. It's is it on brief? Is it going to hit its targets? That's really where everyone's aiming for. Uh, and the, the other thing, the other thing to think about is that is that people don't have to invite everyone to every single review as well. We often find that in, in the first three or four or five iterations are all within the creative team as they're trying to figure out you know big ideas of how to make things work. They'll be sharing it with other people inside the company where they're producing this thing. That might be the creative team inside a huge company in the marketing department, or it might be an outsourcing you know, production company. And they'll do internal reviews three to five, five times, get it to a point where they're feeling really comfortable with it, and then share it out with client side. Um, once they feel like they've got a robust version of something where they, you know, they have pretty good arguments why they've done everything in it, uh, and then they open up to that point. Because I think if you invite everyone too early, and it's still a very sort of embryonic edit or an embryonic version of a piece of MoGraph, Mo you'll you'll get feedback that doesn't relate to where where you're trying to figure it out. They might start specifically talking about colors, whereas you're saying, but does it actually hit the, the story? And, uh, and and so you also have to like set yourself up for the right review. And that's going to come down differently to everybody because um, definitely I can understand that. But at the same time, I think having some of those answers looked at earlier on can save a bit of time as well. So every project is going to have a little bit of reflecting on when to bring in the others to that review. Absolutely. But another key key thing that people do, this is like a feature of the product, is that they write questions on the video before they send it out. So, you know, at one second, 15 frames in, they'll make a comment on something and say, hey, we've thought about the design of this character and we think that the arms look pretty thin. Do you agree? So they'll pose a whole lot of questions for the reviewer to answer on top of the, the of the video, so that you're having a really specific conversation about specific frames of the video and parts of the picture within the frame as well. Yeah, that's a really excellent point actually about and being inclusive in the process rather than presenting mm-hmm. a piece of work and and the expectation being, oh, is this done? <laughs> We've yeah, all yeah. been in that position. It's like, well, no, this is just the animatic, um, but being able to um, basically set it up with that knowledge is perfect. Yeah, exactly. There's been a lot of um, updates at Whipster lately. What's mm. What's been happening with uh, Whipster 2.0? Sure. So... We, we've uh, this this year we're we're aiming to move really really fast for our customers, um, and and on a number of fronts uh, in terms of product, in terms of education, and in terms of the actual business side, which is how we price it, how we make certain features of the product work for different segments of the market, so that everyone gets what they need without everything else in the in the way to sl- to slow them down. So so the key the key thing that we did about a week and a half ago was that we updated how we price the product. Uh, and this was really because we had huge amounts of feedback from people saying, hey, your pricing is based on per user. And, and 
per user pricing is slowing us down on thinking about how we want to work together. A lot of review is, is actually uh, the collaboration piece. It's how people in your team want to instantly get involved in something, instantly see the next version, whether they jump in and make comments or not, or, or need to get invited to a presentation. They were saying, you know, I don't want to think about cost when I'm thinking about my team. I just want to think about cost when I'm thinking about us winning as a company, like producing more content, all, all those other things. So a key thing that we decided to do to make it easier for our customers was to go, we're going to give you uh, an account where you can do whatever you like. You can add as many team members. You can have as many projects, as many, as many um, teams as, as you like inside your account. And the only thing that you'll, that you'll have to pay for is the number of products that you need to review. So whether it's a video and soon imagery and audio and everything else. Um, and the key, the key thing there was that when we talked to, to, to tons of these customers, we discovered that their, their, their value point was not how big is my team, how many people can do this thing, uh, how much storage do I get. Their key value was how much stuff am I making? And they could tie directly, if I make 10 things, then there will be a, a, an understandable cost around making the review process of that thing more efficient. So we so we so we said well let's let's go let's go we value our review at five dollars let's just say that and and we did a whole lot of maths around what it cost us um, the value to the customer and everything and we could see that customers were getting between ten and hundred x return on giving us five dollars uh, for the review experience during a project which averagely costs maybe three thousand to five thousand dollars for a, a, a small short web, web web video right so we thought. That's a pretty understandable cost, and, and, that, and that makes sense. Um, what changed for, I think, a lot of our customers was that they were, they were coming to our product because we had $15 per user. They only needed one person because they were freelance, and, uh, and they were pretty happy to just pay $15 a month and kind of do whatever they would like on the app. With this price change, it meant that they would have to either pay $25 or more because we, our smallest account is five things in review per month with free versions. And they were feeling like they were doing more than that, um, but they were they were thinking that they used to pay fifteen dollars and now they have to pay more. And so they were trying to figure out where is the value here. And so and so what has happened is that we've started to, a, a conversation with our customers that we've not had in the past, which is super positive. Which is saying, how do you value a review? Like we sell review, and do you value it at this or at this? And you know, do you make money every time you pay us five dollars? Do you make fifty dollars? Do you make a hundred dollars? And the more of those types of conversations we have, the more people are discovering, yes, review is actually making us money every time we give you $5, we do make $50 or more uh, because of the efficiency, because of the quality of review, because of the, of the connection they now have with the people they work with. Uh, and, so, and so this is, has changed, A, the behavior around how people work with each other. So people are just adding so many people to their to their teams now. They're just there's people all over the place because they're not restricted on adding, and they're creating all these different teams and different groups of people that work work together on on freelance projects within big companies and marketing departments, agencies, and they they're creating their own networks of creativity on Whipster right now. It's like wildfire, and they know that they're only going to get charged for the things that they actually produce. So they're not they're not being charged for how many people they work with, they're only being charged when they produce content that has a budget. So it's now a line item that they can mark up if they want to their customer and actually make money every time they uh, are charged by us to use our product. So we're now just saying, we value review, we're gonna give you the best review experience, we're gonna create incredible engagement with your reviewers, we're gonna be innovating this year as fast as possible, and, uh, and all those customers are coming along on that journey. That sounds really, really good. I think hopefully that will cl clear up for a lot of people out there um, what's happening with the pricing. What I found was when I went online this week, it was really clear what the different options were. I think previously I was a little bit unsure about how I go from a lower account to jump up. It felt quite big, but then you've presented the options really clearly now. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's, that, that's something that we were... Um, uh, almost, I would say, experimenting with, but also we, we were just trying to move at speed. So we were only showing three tiers, which was the $2,500 a month, the $350 a month, and the $25 a month accounts. Um, but in between those, there are, there are a handful of other accounts as well. So that depending on, on, what, on what, what scale you are, 
you're able to find an account which is either 25, 65, 190, 350, and on, on we go. Uh, and the really interesting thing was that when we launched this pricing and we talked to people, we discovered one thing which we wanted to add, which was people were really happy to pay for an annual allocation of video. Uh, so they were like, look, instead of me paying per month and trying to work within a monthly allocation, just let me pay per year for the yearly amount and I'll use it when, whenever, whenever I want. And that reduced a whole lot of stress around the buyer's journey. Uh, so they were able to think, look, if I go for the, the, the $350 account, that's either 100 a month or that's you know 1,200 videos in the year. And so now they go, well, look, I'll give you three and a half grand and I've got 1,200 videos with unlimited versions and now I don't have to think about it anymore. Like I'm, I'm going to work within that. And if I go over that, obviously I'm super successful and I'm doing more than 1,200 projects. Um, so of course I'll give you six, six and a half grand or 12 and a half grand, whatever account they go up to. And so that's, that's really something that we learned over that, that week because we always want to iterate on what, on what we do. Uh, and so that annual account with just a, a bunch of videos uh, is, is what people are now buying in droves. Yeah, which makes complete sense because as a business, you want an annual cost that can be built into any capital expenditure that you might have and have an agreement with your finance team. But also if you are doing really successful, it's easy to present to your CFO Uh what that cost means and why. So, But at the same time, looking after those smaller people who do need the monthly subscriptions to basically go month to month to figure out how much content they're producing – yeah, yeah. I mean, on the, on the other side of that is that on the smallest account, which is $250 a year, which is, you know, it's very, very cheap. It's, it's, that allows you to do 60 video projects with unlimited versions within the year. And we, and we talked talk to a, a few freelancers who said that is incredible for them because one month they might do 10 videos. The next month they might do one and the next month three, you know, and it, it changes every, every month. So they don't want to think about monthly allocation. They just go, I've got 60 videos. And if I go over this, obviously I'm going to pay more because I'm I'm doing really well. But you know, 60 videos times an average budget of maybe four grand, they're they're doing pretty well. And it just really does require the freelancer or the small team business to break this down as a line item, so that when they do need those extra ones, it's really easy to budget stepping up in the account plan. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's something that I really like about Whipster myself when I first signed into it, and it's the ease of setup and the walkthrough that it took and just the interface, it feels intuitive. There's a customer journey on that initial setup. It feels like there's been a lot of love given to that. Do you want to talk about why that's important to Whipster, the ease of use? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we we are, we are like a 125% a product company. Like we, we love products. We look at new products every single day. We look at you know hardware products. We're always arguing about um, the quality of a chair, <laughs> the, the, the design and fabrication of a coffee mug, all sorts of things. Um, we are just like obsessed with design and design not for what things look like, but design for how things work. Um, you know, the, what, what, what something ends up looking like is almost secondary to what its function is. And, and so when you look at Webster as a product, um, and, and we get a lot of this feedback is that, is that they go, it's, it's so simple. How does, this, how does this do a job? And then we say, well, try and use it. And then the next day they come to us and go, um, we need to use this <laughs> for everything. And what, and what the difference there is that, is that sometimes for people, when they see something that has, has actually been well, well designed, um, it, it comes across as obvious. It comes across as, well, you know, this is obviously what you'd do because, you know, what else would you do? This is so simple. <clears throat> and when a, when a design solution exists uh, that makes it seem so obvious is that, is that then it becomes a standard and it becomes just a, like the language of how to do that thing. And so you'll, you'll, you'll see that when you use Webster is that a lot of a lot of the clutter that, that, that classical software has, which is about options and menus and all that other stuff, we don't have any of that stuff because we do an incredible amount of user testing and iteration. Like we iterate features. Like if you think about our commenting feature, which I think is our number one feature, is the ability to click and make a comment on a video. Um, we've iterated on that maybe a hundred and something times, uh, just so many times. All the little bits of like, how does this work? How does that work? How does that work? watching people use it, seeing how, how somebody is affected to be able to write easier because of the, where, 
where it pops up compared to where you click or, or anything else. So many things about that. Um, the the tech, taxonomy of color, so the you know how we assign a color to a user and where that color is displayed compared to the color of the action button and all those things, the psychology behind it. You'll see that we've iterated on so much of the product over and over again to get it to a point where it's just obvious. And things that are obvious, you just go, well, there's nothing to it. And then you go, well, use it. And then they discover, well, that's absolutely fine. And again, like if you if you think about a mug, um, a mug is pretty obvious. But, you know, I don't know, a few hundred thousand years ago, there were no mugs. And so what were people going to do about, about a mug? It seems so obvious now that you would have a circular receptacle with a bottom and a, and a handle. But for so long, mugs didn't have handles. And you go, well, it's obvious. <laughs> and so that's that's where we're at now with review is that we've, we've created review for video and we're opening it up to imagery and audio and everything else. And so many people use the product in a way where they just say, I, I just, you know, I try other products. I, I try doing it with other things. And it just, they haven't got it. They haven't just got the simplicity. They always then compare another product to the way we do it. Which, is, which I always find really interesting because I think other products are doing a great job. We, we have competitors who are doing really, really well. And I really love some of the things that they've, they've, they've produced. But oftentimes you'll discover that those, those companies aren't focusing on one thing. Um, they'll be trying to do all sorts, all sorts of things, trying to help you do like uh, creative collaboration in a way where it's about how does the editor work with the sound designer on work files and all these other things where you go, that's not really a relevant issue when you're talking only about review because review is so specific about how you engage with other people. It's so psychological and you have to make it absolutely just be so simple. Otherwise, people just don't engage. And, 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 and that's it. We've created an engagement engine. Touching on that point that you made about simplicity and what's obvious, I'm just instantly thinking of how you've brought Whipster into Premiere and After Effects, which mm -hmm. means you don't have to step out of the program that you're doing the work in. It, it seems obvious, and it's and it's gone through some massive changes for the industry to be able to stay in their application of choice. Do you want to describe to the listeners uh, what the panels do? Yeah, absolutely. So last year, at the start of last year, we worked heavily with Adobe to, to create a couple of panels that work directly inside their creative, creative tools. Um, as you say, Premiere and After Effects because we're pr predominantly about video today. And what it is, <clears throat> is that you have a panel that sits in, in, in Adobe, so it's completely within the Adobe experience. Within that panel is a small version of Whipster. And, and the key call to action in that button is to, is to share. Um, so when you're working on a timeline, you can be uh, doing your editing, doing your mo, mo graph, and then go, I need to share this with people and, get, and get, get some thoughts on it. And not only share it with those people and get some thoughts on, on Whipster that stay on Whipster, but use Whipster as the go-between between you in your edit suite, in your mo graph studio, and everyone else who's, who's a part of the project and bring that conversation straight back to your timeline. So, so all the way from being on your timeline, doing work, clicking share, going to have a cup of tea, coming back again, those comments that have happened out there in the world are now in your timeline, directly in Premiere and After Effects. And you can scroll along and have a look at the different comments. Uh, in our panel, you can also reply to people. So they also turn up there as a list with a thumbnail image of where they've made the comment with a dot where they said it. And you, you can either reply to those comments, you, you can click like, uh, and then if you want to do those changes, you do those changes and tick them off so that all the comments become an automatic to-do list. You tick them off till they're all done and then hit share again. And then that goes out. You, you, can, you can opt to have an approval button turned on to say, you know, this is the final, can you guys approve it? And then when it goes out, they will click approve and you go, it's done. And then you, 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 you click up, upload the high res to us and then you can share the high res and, and essentially send the final file through Whipster as well. And, uh, and then the, pro the project is done. And so you've had the entire review experience without ever leaving After Effects or Premiere. Do you have some customers that are using that high res that's uploaded as a media asset management for their clients in a way? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's two ways that works. One is that uh, they, they use it as, as like uh, the archive of the work that they've done. So they have an archive in their own Whipster account of all the work they've ever produced. Uh, and it becomes their go-to for where it all is, and they can download from there. 
Um, the added benefit there is that it has also the history of all the work on top of it because it has all the reviews, all the commentary, all the versions as well. So it keeps a history of the whole project. Um, and secondarily to that is that people are now linking their accounts together. So uh, say a production company is working with a big brand. Uh, the big brand has a Webster account. The, agent, the, the production company has a, a Webster account. Um, they invite them through Webster to review uh, or they upload to the other person's account. Uh, and they start to do the review together, and then the brand has a version of the history as well. And so the brand has an archive, and the production company has an archive. I think um, something I really love there is having that knowledge kept with the video, because something that every team, every business, every company will find is staff come and go. And when they take that knowledge about that experience and that project with them, because it's in their head, all that knowledge is lost, so having something like Whipster, which retains it for people coming into your business, is oh, an yeah. amazing benefit. It is. It, it, it absolutely is. And there's, there's two other things out of that. Um, one is that, is that you, you'll sometimes get into strife between the creative team and the stakeholder team, whether it's inside of a company or you're, you're an outside resource, where somebody will say, no, I never asked for that for that change. Or I don't remember us going down this line of thinking. And you go, well, let's just go back to version six. Uh, let's have a look at all the commentary. And there's the comment. And it's, it's, it's very clear because there is just simply an absolute history of what happened. Uh, so there is really no gray area any, anymore. There's no, oh, it was lost in email. Everything is in the Whipster pro project and it's right there. Um, the next, the next best, best thing on top of that is that oftentimes a project will be done. It'll be archived. Two months later, the client says, hey, we want to do some changes to that project bring it back out of the archive, it's alive, it's got all the versions, it's got all the commentary, and then just start working from where you left off. So you, 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 also, you also have this, this like continuum of a project where it doesn't die, goes away, then you have to restart it. You just bring it back, and it's just where it was. Have any customers used um, an existing project as almost like a starting brief in that way? Let's write notes all over the last version of this of what we want to change. That seems like a bit of a clearer way than doing a storyboard sometimes. Um, what, what happens there is that uh, not, not, not so much them making comments on the last version to bring it back uh, because you, usually a change is just simply can we change the end graphic and they'll send through a mock-up of the last frame and you'll just do it. But it's more, it's more that people, the first version of a video uh, more and more people are not uploading the first edit or anything. They're uploading, um, say, an animatic, which is you know hand-drawn thing put together, or they're uploading something else, uh, maybe like a trailer to a movie, and then pinpointing the stuff that they like in that trailer to say, you know, let's make something that feels like this and this and this. And they start having a creative conversation on top of a piece of work that is not going to be the final piece, but is a reference piece. And that becomes version one. Then they might do an edit down of that trailer. Uh, to feel more like um, this web fit video that they're going to do, then they move into version one of the actual video that they that they shot. So version three is actually the first edit of the actual video, and the first two are just reference videos. So we're seeing that happen as well. I really like that because it's so many times been quoting a storyboard even, and the reality of when you get into a project is you need to be quoting an animatic to really know what's going to go into it and get all parties on board of how it's feeling and the timing and just to know what the project's going to hold. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think a, a good a good piece to get people into the right headspace of what could be is to do uh, like a mood edit of other stuff. So do a mood edit of either your own work or of work that the, that the client is referencing or, or stuff that you would like to, to aim towards and just you know download 15 different things off the web and edit those together to create a mood piece of where this piece could go because that often takes people on, on the journey quite a lot um, to know what, what it's going to feel like outside of an animatic which, which will hopefully show them exactly what is going to happen. Are there any other points that you'd like to share with the audience about what's happened with Whipster over the last six months? Any highlights you can think of? It's been growing really, really quite fantastically fast, which is, which is a real testament to people out there really beginning to, to understand review and really being, being able to see the value of, re, of review. And, and really the, those creative people willing to work closer with their clients and their and their stakeholders within their companies, which I think is just fantastic because in the past there has been that a little bit of a them and us thing um, where, you know, oh, these people are paying the bills, but, you know, they don't know how much of a creative genius I am and why do we have to do these changes? Uh, and we're seeing almost, um, in some ways, we're seeing 
the market mature where where people are going okay this is we're building a video which is a product which has to have an outcome you know it costs $25,000 to produce this video and the marketing department is expecting to make $75,000 out of it and people are really starting to think much more like business people um, that there is a return on investment and all those other things um, without killing creativity and so for them to embrace review products like Webster is showing that maturity in the market and, and you know I just couldn't be more impressed by by how I see people working together now. I truly believe that Whipster and other tools that enable the process to be more streamlined are just a requirement now. Budgets are becoming smaller as more people are capable of producing this work. So anything that brings teams together from those producing two clients and removing any miscommunication or wasted time is a requirement. Yeah, I, I think so. Because if you think about it in the reverse... If you think about working on something like Whipster Whip or a competitive product and then having to not work on one of them, I mean, it's bizarre. I, I don't think anybody could go back to just using e- email and Dropbox. It would be, it'd be bizarre. So where did you personally start out in the industry, Roller? I, I come from a creative background. Um, I, I come from a family that is essentially, um, I don't know, sort of half art, half business. Um, I've got a, an architect dad, um, a clothing designer and chef mother, uh, an illustrator, animator brother, uh, an industrial designer brother, and a, photo- a photographic sister, uh, a photographic sister, whatever that term is. Um, and so, and so you, you, you see that the whole family has this thing of it's, it's half creativity, half commerce, because all of them have to run their own businesses and have customers and all those other things. Uh, and so from a young age, I was, I was really in, interested in architecture. And then when I was about 16, it, it kind of just moved into filmmaking. Uh, I, w- I was given an 8mm film camera by my grandma uh, and some film roles. And I just went out and started to do stop frame. And, and I would, at school, I would um, shoot the events. Uh, so the, if there was a sports event, I'd make a documentary about it. Um, in English, instead of doing an essay, I would make a, doc- a documentary about a, sub- a subject. And the documentary would be the document. Um, and just move into using video to do to do stuff, and then and then I went through um, design school, uh, which was much more about motion graphics and everything else, and then moved into just being a freelance motion graphics artist uh, because at that time After Effects had just become two and a half D. It was kind of a competitive competitive advantage to use two and a half D in, in After Effects in the market in you know the year two two thousand, uh, and so I could compete quite quite well with big agencies who didn't really know how that, all, all that stuff works. And I moved to England and started to do things like music videos for The Prodigy and TV commercials for uh, MTV and the BBC and other things. And just have a good, have a good time. So, so I, I, re- I really started out just jumping into video and just having a good time with video and being able to experiment and make short films, write scripts, raise a bit of money to make short films. Um, and always dreamed of making feature films, which, which I think I still will at some point. Uh, and, and, and just getting really deep into video, but then also always loving products, uh, you know, coming from basically a design family, everyone's into the, de- into the design of things, whether it's physical spaces, architectural food or fashion or space um, within, within the computer screen as design and, and everything else. And so always having that, I was always really interested in the design and then the design of products and I'd always be following software and everything else. And so then, basically, at the end of 2012, uh, I was I, I was I, I'd started a, a, a video production company a few years earlier, and we were doing work with a with a client in a different town. And it was just that pain of going, oh my god, we're we're going through a review process with these people. It's a Dropbox link, and then it's emails, and you know I couldn't tell who'd watched it. I didn't know if the right person was saying things. I was getting comments from someone about what someone else had said to them, um, not not on the video, but just in person. And I was like, oh my God, this, 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 there's got to be a, better, a much better way to, to, to just do this process. Like why, why isn't this process systemized and made really fun and easy to, to, to do? Because it's like we're unnecessarily creating friction around something that it should be fun, should be uh, you know, light and bright and working with customers. And you, know, you have to go through the turmoil of creativity to find the answers, but you shouldn't be going through turmoil to communicate with people. Like what's the point? And so then it was just having that, that, that moment, that dream of going, why don't we just make comments on stuff while we're making it? And from there, it was really just 
um, quickly going out and trying, trying to find people to work with me in terms of technology and design and marketing and put together a quick startup and then go through an accelerator and raise a whole lot of money and just start out trying to prove that anyone cared about, about this. And, and a, really, a really key point that I would say to anybody trying to start a startup or even a company at all is instead of trying to prove people care, try to prove that they don't care. And if you fail at that, then you've proven that there is, there is a market. Because if you try and if you try and prove that no no one cares, uh, and you succeed, then you've you've learned quicker than than if you were trying to succeed. Because people who are trying to prove something will often deceive themselves into thinking that um, signal is is uh, no that noise is 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 the signal, whereas the signal is when you're being a little bit more negative, you're able to actually see the true outcome of something. Um, so always try and disprove it before you try and prove it. Uh, and then, um, so yeah, so we, we, we kind of disproved that no one cared, cared about it <laughs> and then started to grow the team, raise a bit more cash so that we could grow faster and build more features. And then, um, and, you know, partner with companies like Vimeo and Adobe and do integrations with Slack and Dropbox and Box and others and then uh, grow to where we are today. Your transition from being a founder and entrepreneur through to a CEO and leader, you must have had some really tough challenges but or even failures. Sometimes those are the things that teach us the most. Is there anything that you've experienced that has really helped shape the type of leader you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the, the key thing to, to becoming, say, a, a leader of, of, of a number of people to try and go in the same direction is, is kind of the same when you're directing a video compared to when you're directing a company. Because I kind of see the CEO role as um, the, the director in a film. Uh, and the producer in a film is like the COO, like the chief operations officer in, in a company. And so you have those two people that are trying to run, say, the creative thread and, and what we're trying to do and be and talk about the vision and the story and everything of, of the film. And the producer is trying to make sure it actually happens and that we have the right things and the right people turn up and the pe- pe- people get paid and all those other things. And, and so I think one thing that I've, I've, you know, I've been trying to learn over time is, is how to not try and muddy those two things up. Because some people try and become a leader and become very operationally helpful within a company because they feel like they have to keep doing stuff, um, which means that they spend less time thinking about the overarching picture and giving people the vision and giving people the direction and giving people the confidence that we're going somewhere that will work, that, that has possibility and that what we are doing is working because you have to keep reminding people of what is working and what and what, and what you're going to do next. Uh, and when people try to become a little bit too operational, I find that they, um, they start to lose grip on the big picture. They start to lose grip on, on what, what you're emotionally and, and, uh, and, and what your what your mission as a company is, uh, but along the way, in terms of learnings, I think the biggest learning is is, is how to work with people, how to motivate people, um, and 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 really how to not work with people as well. So, I mean, there's there's been there's been a lot of people who've come and gone during this time period of, of the company, or people who didn't fit, or people who got fed up, or people who wanted uh, something else out out of the experience, and part of it would be about how I've learned how to communicate with people to make them feel like they're on a worthy mission or that they feel valued and all those other things. So, um, I mean, a lot of it is around people. Uh, but then an, an overarching piece is also just learning about big business. You know, even if you're a small startup with just a handful of people, you still have to think like a big business because your market is so so unimaginably huge. You know, you're in in a market worth billions and billions. And so you could capture that, you could become that company. Um, and in the early, early stages, you have to make sure that you're thinking big thoughts, that you will be that company and that you think along the lines of how do we get there, whilst also making sure that you do all those tiny, tiny steps to get there, not just always looking at the big big picture and doing you know big steps that don't really make any sense. Uh, so, so the two things really is learning how to work with people, how to motivate people, uh, and the, se- the secondary thing is to learn how to think like a big company, even if you're not a huge company yet. That's really insightful. I think 
it's something I've found myself as you grow to touching on what you're talking about before is um, their overarching vision. And sometimes the people who are really good at doing rise up the ranks and it's hard for them to learn to delegate so that they're not hands on and getting stuck in the details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, really hard and I, and, I, and I still struggle with, with you know, wanting to be hands on, coming from a background of being very hands on, doing MoGraph and directing TV commercials and doing things, you, you're often very hands-on because you're just like, I just want to do it, I just want to do it. But but you, you really do have to become the builder of the company, not the builder of the product or the builder of the marketing or the builder of the team. You have to become the builder of the company. And um, and it means making sure that your hands aren't into everything. Just sort of like to sort of talk about balancing all of this with the personal life too and family <laughs> and know that you're expecting a new baby. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, a little girl's coming out in about a week and a half. Very exciting. How do you find personally that you keep your life balanced with that? Well, it's it's actually very difficult. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a thing at the moment where I feel like I'm late for everyone. So, you know, if I... If I manage to, to, to spend the right amount of time with the family in the morning, then I'm late for people at work. And if I, if I you know, do the right amount of time with the team in the afternoon, then I'm late home. And so you know, I, I literally don't have enough time for both parts of it. Uh, and so then you have to put in pretty strict guidelines. And, and I really, I really um, in the early days, I just sort of liked to just waft around and eat any old time and stay late and who cares. But it's just so unfair to, 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 to think that your time is more important than anyone else's. And, and so I now have a much more strict re- regime is that, is that I come to work uh, aiming to be at work at 8.30, which means I've had enough time in the morning with the kid uh, before I take her off to her playgroup and also spending time with my partner, Gemma, so that we can have a great brekkie. We, we, re- we really love to um, eat great food. So we, we always make a really lavish breakfast every single morning. You know, whether it's all sorts of uh, baked eggs and special homemade bread and um, tomatoes and bacon and all sorts of things. Um, and we do that every morning. We have a sit-down breakfast and we, and we sit together for uh, 30 minutes. We have a big breakfast, we have coffee, everything. And then I take, I take the kid to playgroup. Uh, and so in the morning, we're spending around two hours together, uh, getting up pretty early so we can do, do that, but so that we have that time together. Uh, and then at work from 8.30 and then leave exactly at 5 o'clock, which means then I can either get home at 5.30 for dinner with the kid or pick her up on, on the way home as well. And then one day a week I leave work, which is today, I leave work at 3 and then go and pick her up and have an afternoon with just her and I, um, the kid I mean, with just her and I before we then go home and have dinner. So it's very important to make sure that that happens as often as possible. And then once um, every two weeks I have a, a, a stay late at work evening so that I can be at work and be there from 8.30 all the way until maybe 10 o'clock at night, 8.30 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, and just have a, like an uninterrupted time, which can work really well for creative projects. Uh, and then um, in the weekend, I don't, I don't try to do anything work, work-wise uh, other than you know, uh, unlocking other people's potential by answering questions and, and, and doing things like that, and also helping in things like customer support, because oftentimes that can be quite heavy uh, when we do a big change and we want to talk to a whole lot of people, uh, and then and then outside of that, it's really it's really trying to make sure that at home I don't talk too much about work, and that at work we're very focused on just the things that are going to make the needle change. So just focusing on on stuff that essentially unlocks other people's potential. So answering questions, um, strategizing, painting the picture so that people get where it's going analyzing uh, pe- people's work, learning from change, all those other things. And uh, then, of course, working with our stakeholders, investors, partners, trying to you know, work with competitors and everything else. That's some really great strategies. And I think all of us, no matter what our roles and our jobs are, need to define the balance between it. So thank you very much for sharing yours. Mm, sure. And now it's time for the Pro Video Picks. On the Pro Video Podcast, we have a bit of a show wrap-up where we ask a few questions. So if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you some of those. Sure, jump in. So just wondering, who do you follow online and whereabouts? So I, I, I follow um, uh, a range of people uh, in business at, at this stage anyway. So I follow people, uh, they're kind of obvious, I, w- I would say. I, I follow Aaron Levy from Box, um, mainly because on Twitter he's quite humorous. 
but his insights are often often quite sharp. I follow Elon Musk because he's he's doing a lot of really interesting things in terms of technology and in, in the future, and I just like the way he has a personal connection with his customers via Twitter. Even though he's got something like four million followers, he'll still reply to people, and I'm just I'm just sort of enjoying that type of of experience and seeing seeing how that goes. Uh, then there's a handful of funny people on, on there that I won't bore you with who they are, but the, they, they, they do, you know, just hu- humorous tweets. Uh, and then uh, in terms of going off Twitter and going into other areas, um, there's a, there's a person called Jason Lemkin who has a blog called Sasta. And, and that's just, he, he's come from a background of being an entrepreneur, starting three companies, doing some really good exits. His last one was ex- exiting to Adobe for over, I don't know, a few hundred million. And his, his blog is all about the mechanics of how to do a SaaS company and things like how to hire a salesperson, um, how to deal with churn, how to um, communicate with an investor, how to do blah, blah, blah. And so there's a few hundred posts there now, and, and they're just so helpful that I just jump in there and, and, and have, a, have a look at all of that. Um, a, a site that I spend a lot of time on is Product Hunt, um, because as I was saying earlier, we are obsessed with products. and. And they really do surface the most interesting pro- products every day. So they have between 10 and 20 new products on their site every single day, and people are voting on them and talking about them. And I, I don't, I don't so much vote and talk about them, but I just look at them and and find it a really quick source of being able to find new stuff. Uh, they also have a really good search engine, so you, you you can search through the thousands of things that they've published about other apps and and find other apps to use in your business or use to experiment with how they've done user experience or onboarding or how they deal with billing or in, anything else. Um, and then other than that, um, there's not there's not really much else that I do other than sleep, <laughs> hang out with the, the family, go to work, read a few things and, um, and then sleep again. Wondering, one of the sections is the pick of the week, which is usually an application device, website or resource. So wondering um, what, what yours might be. My pick of the week, it's, it's a really interesting product. That, that I use at home. It's called Plex. It's P-L-E-X. On my Apple TV, uh, I put Plex on there and it essentially creates a library of all the, the videos on my computer and allows me to just play them straight through the a- Apple TV. And um, so my, my, my brother is a collector of old films and so he'll, he'll you know, go and find them and download them or buy them and turn them into a video file. And then they're instantly available with poster art and all the information about who was in them and actors and everything else inside this app and um and it's just such a beautifully simple user experience of just going i'll just throw some stuff on my computer and then on my apple tv in the other room i can now watch it in hd on the big screen and have uh, you know surround sound and everything and so i'm just loving that app they really have delved into the into the absolute essence of the problem because i used to try and solve this other ways by putting a video file onto a thumb drive plugging it into the back of the tv and it would come out at a weird aspect ratio and i'm just like they just made a beautiful solution um, to to an annoying problem. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Plex myself, and actually, a, um, a previous coworker is working for them, and he's based in New Zealand. Shout oh, out to Chris. Shout out to Chris. Good work, Chris. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an amazing way to look at TV and movies because maybe you're looking for directors. Let's check out all the films that this director's made, and suddenly it's just presenting in a different way. Yeah, yeah, and and also, I mean, the other thing is that as video producers ourselves is that is that it's really 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 good to to look at the work that you like so you know collating the work that you like out there but also having a history of your own work that you can refer back back to and just and just remind yourself of what worked or what you were doing or what didn't work or what you want to do next on the next thing because even though i'm spending you know 200 200 of my time working on this new business webster i still think creatively around film and video and motion graphics experiments and other things um, and it's just good to have that as a reference point. Are there any podcasts that you enjoy listening to? Yeah, there's, there's, um, I listen to Startup as a podcast, which is great because it's really just stories about companies starting up and the pain points of you know finding co-founders, having to fire people, dealing with um, shares and investment and stuff, which is really cool. And then there's two more, um, 99% Invisible, which is uh, a, a podcast put together by R- Roman Mars and his team where they find sort of weird little stories about about design that you wouldn't expect. Things like, um, you know, why um, why a logo became the way it did. And then they find the big history of why. And it's often strange and bizarre. 
and they go for about half an hour each. So, you know, if you're going for a walk, it's quite, quite nice. And then there's an investment firm in San Francisco called Andreessen Horowitz, and they have a podcast called A16Z. And uh, they, they do like, they're prolific. They do two or three podcasts a week. Uh, and they just interview scientists, investors, entrepreneurs, business people, all around high-tech future and where everything is going. So where's VR going? Um, where's micropayments going? Where's everything going? And I just listen to every single one of those. And to me, it's like I just keep up to date with what's happening. And, um, and you know, it's just such a, a sharp thing. And so many other entrepreneurs that I know listen to it as well. So you have these great topics of discussion where you can either agree or disagree. Uh, and so it keep, keeps you all in the same headspace. We have a section for places to learn. Do you, is there a tutorial site or learning resource that you could recommend? Tutorials? Uh, not, not, not so much tutorials, but what I really like doing is going to motionographer.com. And, and the work that, that they put together there um, really is like really is the best in MoGraph and animation of the moment. Uh, and, so, and so I think what's, what's really good about that, even though it's not about um, how to do it and what's the plugin and everything, it's really good because it shows you what the current trend is, what the current mood is, and, uh, and, and it just like finds those pieces of work that are cutting through, um, which you may not be able to find instantly elsewhere. Uh, so I think that's really helpful to see what's going on. Cool. Do you have a pro tip that you might be able to share with the audience? Yeah, absolutely. If you're, if you're thinking about colors and you want to quickly figure out what, what a color is, go to Google and search color picker. And in Google search, you will have a color picker that you, you can click on anything and it will tell you exactly what the RGB is or the other thing with the hashtag number. Uh, and it's just an incredibly insanely fast way to know exactly what a color is. Oh, awesome. I haven't used that, but I will be. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Um, do you have a plugin choice? Plugin choice. Well, obviously, my plugin of choice is the Webster um, Adobe panel, uh, which means that you can do review and approval from Adobe Premiere and After Effects all with one click. I think that's a pretty perfect choice, really. <laughs> is there a piece of video content that's inspirational that you could share with the listeners? Absolutely. So I, I'm always look, looking at stuff online that's really experimental and weird and, and often doesn't have a point. So it's just an artist who is trying out something uh, and then we'll just share it out so that everyone can just see their thinking on something. Um, so there's an artist called Frita Rita, and they've got this uh, video called Ah, and it's just spelled U-H-H-H. And when you watch it, it's just this banana, um, <laughs> this banana blowing up and then deflating. And it's uh, there's some gold coins floating around, and, and it's just awesome because it doesn't mean anything, but you just go, my God, there's so much thinking there's so many styles and thoughts going on inside this piece it's like six seconds long and and it just opens up possibility and i just love it when people just take the time to share it with everyone else and and talk to each other about it so i'll give you the link and you and you can share it out awesome thank you so much for that i think that's something that's really reflective of creative video and um, industry on a whole with motion designers editors everybody that they really do share yeah, well, I mean, if we boil it down, I mean, video is just a form of communication. It's the same as talking to someone or hugging someone. It's just it's just another way of, of communicating. And so, yeah, it, it's fantastic that people can can share the the weirdest, most personal work because that means that they're communicating more honestly with each other. Totally. I'm just wondering, um, can you share with the audience where they can follow you online? Sure. Well, I mean, the the one place that you can find what I'm up to really is Webster at this point in time, because uh, that's, that's what I'm doing. So if you go to webster.io or webster.com, you can see our review tools. And um, we also do a ton of content around making content. So videos about um, how to make videos, videos about how to work with other companies, how to do business, how to budget, uh, how to use tools, best cameras, all those other things. So if you look, look at our blog, you'll see tons and tons of good stuff in there too. Yeah, I highly recommend listeners subscribing to the email because they come out really regularly and there's amazing content in those as, as well. Yeah, yeah, we do we do that every every week. It's the Whips the Weekly, uh, and it ha- usually has about five really great articles. Some of them we've written, some of them that we've found from around the world, and then there's also one video a week that we publish out, which is 
found from the creative community and they're often really really good to watch I might put you on the spot here, Rollo, and um, say, well, maybe uh, the Pro Video podcast might be able to be added to one of those. <laughs> I think there is every chance that this will be one of the links coming up when this, when this is launched. I'm, I'm dancing right now in my seat. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Thank you again, Rollo, for um, joining me today. It's been a great conversation, and I've really enjoyed listening to what you've had to say about you personally and what Whipster is doing. Oh, well, thank you, Blair, and thank you for this this opportunity to share what we're up to with Webster and, and, and talk a little bit about how it came about and, and, and how you know I've taken creativity as a creative person and turned it into a business to enable others to be even more creative. Awesome. I'd like to say thank you to worldpodcast.com who are proudly presenting this episode and recommend that you check out their website for all the other great shows that they have. I personally have really enjoyed the latest episodes of Stupid Questions for Scientists. I found it a hilarious discussion between scientists and comedians. Really recommend you checking it out. Another great show, the Social Media Strategy Podcast. Social media is such an important part of day-to-day business. Really recommend you checking out that show as well. I hope that you've enjoyed the show. Please take a moment to go to iTunes, leave a comment, leave a review, and rate the show. It helps so much for others to be able to find the show as well. If you could do that, I'd be really grateful. So thank you. Again, thank you so much for listening. Bye.